Welcome to CTO Think, a podcast about leadership, product development, and tech decisions between two recovering chief technology officers. Here are your hosts, Don Vandemark and Randy Burgess. Hey, Randy. So what's going on this week? Oh, all over the place. Lots of... I'm going... I'm still on that, like, next landing spot search. So lots of discussions on contract roles, projects, full-time jobs, all that good stuff. Everything's pretty positive. Like, it's just a process and phone calls and time and stuff that's the harder part, but uh, lots of good discussions with people and, you know, still doing the search. And on the other side, I've been diving more into Node and Express and um, testing related to those. Like I did a lot of it with with Firebase functions before and learn how to do testing with some of the middleware and stuff there. And now I'm kind of bringing in some more testing on the actual express and routes and security related things that I've never paid as much attention to on that side, uh, just because sure. of rails experience. But it's, you know, it's a lot of new stuff and that's one aspect of our line of work that I enjoy. Uh, yeah. What's going on with you? Uh, not, not a ton. Been, uh, been playing with Vue this week, um, trying to get something working. Uh, essentially, I've got a, a, a form um, that our people fill out to create work orders, and, and it, it does about three or four different things that, that we've talked about before. But one of the things I want it to do is I want it to actually start auto-populating some stuff, which requires some language of some sort. Um, so I've been playing with Vue to kind of auto-populate some of the displays. And and as is with any new language, I spent probably two days trying to get one little piece done. But it, it, it worked as of 7.30 this morning. So The hard, the hard part about, I'll warn you right now, this is a tech detail, but what I found with any any browser-based app with forms and autocomplete is that the browsers try to do it for you these days. Oh, you're sure. Gonna, you're going to fight with what you want to control and the fact that someone typed in something before and like Chrome remembers that they typed it in. And so it'll try to show that dropdown of previously typed enter data against your search you're trying to auto-populate. So... The good, the good news is I'm not trying to auto-populate the input box itself. Uh, I'm trying to auto-populate a bunch of other fields as cool. that as that box gets filled out. Oh, um, yeah. it's, it's one of the very reactive things. It's why we use languages like this. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, it, it, it took me a while. And and that's a, that's a hang, hanging head in shame took me a while statement. Um, well, at least you're seeing... At least the CEO for your business can code. <laughs> no, no, the CEO can't. The COO can. Uh, whatever. Definitely the person uh, anyway. that should be coding. <laughs> anyway, the COO is enjoying himself by doing it. I get that. I understand that very much. 
I, I, I spent a week selling, so I just need a little break. Anyway, so speaking of, of roles and things people should be doing in their roles. <laughs> yes. Uh, today, today uh, I came across an article on um, the CTO role and how it evolves over the lifespan of a company. Um, and I think we've touched on this before, uh, but I, I think it's it's good to dive into because when you really think about it, 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 it it's it's a lot of different things, and a lot of startups try to fit one person in there to do all those things. So, what's um, the article? So the name of the article is "Looking at the Life of the CTO Through the Stages." So the subhead is what type of tech leader does your business need and when? Um, it's by Andy Skipper, and it's actually a couple years old, about 18 months old. Um, we'll put it up on the show notes. So now um, it's complete in the Internet age is completely irrelevant. <laughs> because <laughs> except, Yeah, it, it, well, except it, it's it doesn't it's not specific about a language. Um, yeah. So so that means it's not completely obsolete because you're absolutely right. It's it it's 18 months when discussing a language is obsolete. Um, but it's, it's about the different life, st- life cycle of a company and how the CTO needs to serve the company out of those points. So when a company's, and, and we're talking from, from, you know, startup to, to growing to being very large when, and, and it, it's interesting because it's kind of the, the, I'm, I'm kind of through phases zero, one, and two, um, and maybe even three of, of this article. So I, I just want to talk through it. Yeah. So the, um, the, the first, the, 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 the stage zero is whenever, before the business becomes a business, when, when you're still talking about it and, and Hey, could this idea work? Um, what what I and, and what a CTO's role is there, and they may they're probably not the CTO at that point. They are just somebody talking about business ideas. But what that that person's role is is to talk about the technical feasibility of things. Yeah. Um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna tie this to to the the Aspire Edu life cycle as well, just to to have a nice example to bounce off of. And if you've got things to throw in, examples to throw in, please do. Yeah. Um, so Aspire EDU came together at a startup weekend and I went there as a technical manager who kind of knows how to code, but it really knows, um, a lot about pulling people together and about different technologies and things like that. Um, I'm not going to be the first person you bring on to do the coding, but I can pretty much figure out where we need to go with it. So um, when you're in that stage zero, it's more about, can we do this? And with Aspire EDU, it was, I've got this spreadsheet where I take a bunch of data that I copy and paste from a CSV file and I run it through some Excel formulas to create a final score for each row. Is that something we can turn into an application? Mm-hmm. Um, and of course the easy answer there is absolutely. That's, that's exactly what a SAS is. Um, you've done all the hard stuff essentially of, of figuring out all the formulas. The easy part is 
taking that Excel spreadsheet with all its formulas and putting into a SAS. Um, so that that's what that discussion was around. It was that that whole weekend. I spent that weekend um, looking through the APIs, going, "Okay, we can we can pull all this information from the API. There's no longer a need for a CSV file." Um, and really, what I spent about half the weekend doing was coaching the uh, the the co-founder on uh, presentation. Yeah. Um, because I, I'd spent 15 years at IBM. I, I know how to do presentations. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, and that's not the, that's not the, the, the world she'd come so, from. So we, we spent a lot of time through So that. the other, in my experience, I mean, if you, if you talk to anybody that can code, almost everybody's been a CTO at this stage. It could also be called the OTO, the only technology officer. You are the only person with technical skills to discuss the idea in that framework. Sure. So you're appointed sure. the OTO by, by default. And if you're, if you can build stuff, you've been, you probably have at some point thought, can I build something that will fund my lifestyle or fund my life or run my own company or, you know, what have you? so that I don't have layers of management above me. Like that, that's kind of the dream for many people that build. And it doesn't mean that they want to do a startup. It just means that, you know, you're talking about ideas of things you can build. And that's what people that write code and develop things always like to do. So that's the other side of it. And in your case, you had a group of the business side people that came, that you merged with. And you were the OTO, which translates to the CTO. So that's, I feel like we've all been there, or at least the majority yeah. of people that are in our, in yeah. our world. So, and, and, and that, that, that's where that transition also happens from that stage zero to that stage one, where you've gone from um, being that OTO and, 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 and discussing the viability of it to being the OTO and actually having to build yeah. it. So that stage one is let's build a min, minimum viable product. Let's build the smallest feature set that we can um, to show that this is a possibility. Um, and that's, that's what now this is in, in the Aspire EDU world. I didn't do so much of the building um, as we brought in somebody, uh, I, I, I fleshed out a lot of the, the features and I fleshed out a lot of the, um, the decisions, but we actually did have a, a developer come in and put it all together. Mm -hmm. Um, so that, that, that's a slight departure. Um, and in, in a true startup world, it, it probably would have been better if, if I had put it all together, um, I have a feeling if I had put it together, we wouldn't be where we were, where we are today. Though. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that's so um, th there, that's a really big difference. So I think you're right. At this, at phase one, the early stage startup, most CTOs are hands-on and they're coding and they may bring on another developer, but they're doing the development. That is very, very, that's the, that's the most frequent way I see products start. But here's the thing I'll say about how you all did it and what I've really seen more often than not 
is that that CTO at the phase one stage burns out before phase two. And so the technical leadership that a startup needs, they're making that person do management and development. And uh-huh. I yeah. would say that I interview for a lot of replacement CTOs. Like, hey, we need to replace the person that built it in the first place. And I'm like, what happened to them? And they're like, oh, they decided to do something else. And I'm and I kind of know the story. I've seen it. Um, I've lived it too, but usually the business wasn't going to go anywhere. And so it was like a mutual, we're ending this. But the, I would say that in your case, the Spire EDU has kept their technical leadership without burning you out. And you've got developers that have been long-term. There's something to be said for the way you all approached it, where you've had a very stable team over the phases. And I don't see as many startups like keep the CTO all the time past phase one. So I, I, so that's what I've observed. Yeah. I can tell you've been playing tennis and pickleball this week. Um, because I'm serving them up. You're hitting them back and you're leaving (laughs) them right next to the next point. So I'm going to hit it right back at you. Um, so (laughs) I brought up stage zero. You you brought up the, the feeling of, of going from stage zero to stage one where you're actually building things. So we talk, I talked about stage one. You talked about that next step of, yeah, but the, 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 where people struggle is in that transition between build the MVP and, and grow, the, grow the team, grow the business. Um, yeah. that's, that, that's that next stage is once you've got that MVP built, um, maintaining it, growing it, um, stabilizing it. It, it, it. In this article, it's called stabilization. So it's a matter of the MVPs in place. Um, we're starting to push it out to some potential clients. So now we're starting to lo- worry a little bit about security. We're starting to worry about CI and CD, which we talked about last week. Um, yeah. We're starting to worry about all those other, other things, starting to probably think a little bit about scale. Um, so, so a lot bigger decisions than just the code, right? So you've gone from the fun part to, to one of those areas where it drags on a little bit. And I think that's what you're hinting at is, yeah, yes, there's pressure, um, but also the fun's gone away. Uh, hmm. the, the, the fun of solving the problem is no longer there. It's now a case of, oh, I was excited to have this baby, but now it's a, it's 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 crying at two in the morning. What do I do about it? You, um, <laughs> oh God. you built <laughs> the baby one. The baby example is probably the best. That's like when we got kittens, and I right now have a kitten that four a.m. routinely bites me on the neck to say <laughs> hello. And yes, I love that little bugger, but like I also like to just swipe him off the bed in one big swoop. But here, it's almost like you built a dam and now the holes, you're trying to plug all the holes and you've only got so many arms and feet to do so. Right. And it becomes, it's a maintenance issue. It's a, the, the, your users are giving you feedback and telling you how dumb you were in the first place. You've got the security thing that never goes away. And then you've got the other executives that are asking for features to make their lives easier on the sales side, on pleasing clients. 
So yeah, you've gone from the, hey, I solved the problem. It's it's way better than that spreadsheet you gave me to now I'm taking care of this technology baby that wants constant feeding and also poops all the time. <laughs> the, the other The other side of this part, and this is, again, I'm going to kind of give your situation a thumbs up on one aspect I've seen, is that phase two, stabilization, is CTOs that write the code from scratch fall in love with it. They they don't understand that at times you got to just rip code out from the roots and replace it because the choice you made with that level of beginning clients or MVP is not suitable for the stabilization and growth phases. And they have a real hard time bringing in engineers that may know more than them, that may be smarter than them. You started out that way. You hired developers better than you at Python from day one. And you don't have a complex around change around that code. Um, your developers might, because they are the ones that wrote it, but you don't, and you're the one that makes the final choices. So your company, in a way, has a advantage with change that I think a CTO who writes it all from scratch doesn't. Yeah, that, that's that's a fair statement. And that leads to phase three, growth. <laughs> yeah, which, well, is, I'm reading, which is I'm reading ahead, so I'm not just pulling this out of. I was going to say you're you're <laughs> you've definitely been playing tennis this week. Um, so so it, it, it's yeah, you, you've gotten to the point where you've added all these all these non fun things. You need help. Um, so this is where you bring people in. So you've gone from. So let's talk about that the journey. Let's start over. You've gone from I know a lot of technical things to I can code, to I can stabilize this thing, to I can manage people. Yeah. Those are four completely different things. You can probably do a couple of those well. Um, it, it, it's so I, I think you talked about replacement CTOs and burnout and, and all that. I, I think there's also a, a, a fit problem as a company grows. Um, that person who could who could talk about the technical viability and who could code circles around it may not be a leader, a manager, yeah. um, and, and they may be. And and I think you see a lot of cases where that 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 same person grows into that role. Um, I think I was fortunate with Aspire EDU to be able to. Um, ig- augment my weakness, which was the coding part of it. Okay. My weakness of, of all those stages was the build an MVP. Um, yeah. so, so we were able to find somebody who could do that. And then that allowed me to skip over that stage personally and, and just focus on the next, I, I was able to go on and start thinking about the next stage while that was getting done. Um, and if we never got there, we never got there, but at least we were ready for it. So, yeah. Um, that this next one's, you know, managing people, hiring, firing, hiring's easy. Firing's hard. Um, it, 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 you can hire anybody off the street, making the decision that they're not going to fit and being able to live with that personally, that you've changed this person's life. 
um, and you're about to change it again in a negative way. Um, I learned that lesson very young. Unfortunately, I, I, I was promoted to a manager very quickly um, and had got to live through, you know, a layoff at, as yeah. the laying off manager at age 22. So I, I got to experience that pain very early. Um, but that's, <clears throat> you know, that, well, that, 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 that managing people is that next stage. And it takes you a while as a person, maybe it's maturity and age to be, to understand that people, that good news and bad news are essentially the same to people. Um, and if you deliver it honestly and you're forthright about it and what we all do early on is we deliver only good news and kind of kick the bad news down the curb and then people like people have a bad taste in their mouths from anything you say they're like going forward because they don't trust that you'll ever tell them the truth. So right. as you mature and understand about working, like now this phase three growth is like you said, it is about people management. The tech, you're bringing on people to handle the tech. Your job as CTO at this phase three growth is about is switches gears almost completely because in the article he mentions this is about the time you hire a VP of engineering to oversee day to day. And what you're really doing there is saying, you know what, I'm going to manage the people side and I need a technical oriented person to manage the details of the tech, which is much more, which in a way is more black and white than the complexities of human beings and what it takes to keep them productive, happy, and you know in a like morale and all the all of those issues that you deal with when you put people together so yeah like that's another aspect and this is where you see a lot of change in in businesses too where the person who was the technical oriented developer either can't hack the people side or don't want to and I've right. seen it where they a company's hired a CTO because the person, the main developer, simply strictly said, "I don't want to do that. I really just don't want to deal with the people side. I don't want to interact with HR. I don't want to deal with the hiring and the harder part of firing." So, I think, yeah, again, your startup hired someone that can handle that phase three and the people side from day one. And they don't often do that because they think they only need a technical person. And that's where, that's the advantage again, that your, that your role has and why it's been a stable, pretty stable climb for you all. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to, to be completely fair, this is a bootstrap company. It's not venture back. So, so the, 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 the trajectory has been uh, steady, not rocket ship. Um, but that fits what what we were all looking for as well. Yeah. Um, you you said you you said earlier about good news and be, bad news being the, done, kind of the same thing. 
Um, I was reading and I, I, I'm not going to be able to attribute it properly. Hmm. It was either James Clear, the author of Atomic Habits, or Paul Jarvis, the, uh, the author of Company of One. One of them had a, a note in the newsletter that in the brain, um, fear and excitement are the same thing. Hmm. It, it, it's just a, a, a different case. Uh, it, it generates the same, you know, levels within the brain. It's just a, a, a different two sides of the same coin. Um, that's a total non sequitur, but I thought it was interesting. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, the, the, the last phase that the, um, the article talks about is domination. Um, and this is, this is probably not a phase that we've gotten to at Aspire to um, we, we, we could also call this, um, they call it domination. They, they're assuming rocket ship growth. Um, th- this is also kind of like, you know, just that, that period of coasting along, you know, being able to uh, manage peers. Um, so being able to manage upward, manage peers, set expectations upward. Yeah. Um, that's kind of what's going on here. It's that, it's that final stage where you're looking to, this is where the problems of scale start to come in. Probably. Um, we, we, we built this thing to do X and now it needs to do 10 X and, and we have to make decisions on how we're going to do this. We have to split databases, which is what we had to do. Um, we built this thing on bootstrap six years ago. Should we be on something new, some new framework now? Probably. Um, we should probably have moved to material design by now. Yeah. But we've, de- we, we've decided to stay where we are and not introduce a design change to the user base. That, these are the kind of decisions that start to come <clears throat> in at this phase as well. Um, so, as, your, yeah, as, your, I mean, I, as your service ages. Yeah. I mean, I've never been in the domination stage really just because yeah. of the size of the companies I've been a part of and their business success. But this is where, and this is a tennis analogy and a golf analogy that I can only use now because I started playing these again. But <laughs> the way I kind of look at this stage is when you are taught how to hit a tennis ball well and hit a drive a golf ball well, the thing that you're, the person helping you says is keep your head down, focus on the ball. Because what you do is if you immediately turn and watch the ball as you hit it, you lose your mechanics. And the focus is like watch that ball so that the club hits it and you watch it all the way through. And so what you do in in this phase related to managing a, a dominant company in this role of CTO is I always feel that you need to keep your head down on hiring the best people and then or and keeping them organized, not telling them like the micromanager doesn't survive at this domination level. You can't. There's too many yeah. people. Yeah. So your job as CTO, and this is why I never understand the level, like if I was a CTO at this level, HR has a role in making sure my hires are legal and appropriate and follow the steps and all that good stuff. But I would not just hand over a bunch of roles to an HR group to hire them. 
I would still, oh, no. I would still maintain like, hey, my team is going to do the resume review, the the actual interviews, and I'm gonna make that. I'm gonna make the process up to what HR needs to do. My team still because the the most critical part of your CTO role of the domination is that you hire the best people. And that you keep, and so you have to keep your eye on hiring the best people and the organization and the the morale around that. And you don't sure. you don't have time to know well what was that commit that just went through? Code, let me do code review. Let me talk about the choice of database here. Like at this stage, you would love you hire the best people to make those choices for you. And if you outsource all of it, I don't know what you're doing every day. I mean, if you're just going on press junkets and doing CTO type of um, like speaking podcast, speak a podcast. <laughs> well, that's we're not a domination stage, but it, it's more of. I mean, that's that part is actually marketing to hire good people, so it's it's important. But I think it's more about that. I've met CTOs where they don't even know a dang thing about anything the products do, and I at first I think oh. Like how the, like, what the heck? But then I realize what, but then I ask a question about their people and they know about everybody. Like they could have an organization of 300 people and they know about the new entry level hires. And that's when I was, that's when I realized, oh, that, you know, because if this CE, if this CTO knows about the interns and the quality that went into hiring them, they actually have their eye on the right part. If they know exactly what the intern is working on, that's probably more than they should be doing. And because they've hired people along the ladder, along the hierarchy that are taking care of all those things. So I think that's where phase four comes in. And I don't know that it even matters that you know a bit of code. Uh, I don't think it matters that you know the tech stack. I think it matters that you have experience in hiring people in that area, but I don't know that any of the details, the implementation details don't matter as much, I don't think. Yeah, uh, yes and no. So uh, yes, if you're talking about a large organization, there, there's no way you can, you're, you're not managing the details. And that's where I, I we've gotten away from where we are. At, at this point, it's still a team of two developers with, yeah. with some, some part-time stuff. So I can't talk about, you know, um, knowing what it's like for this company to have to deal with that many. Um, and so I'm still involved in some of those details. I still know that we've spent, you know, almost two weeks just upgrading packages and not actually delivering features or anything like that. And I'm starting to get antsy. Um, but that's okay. Yeah. Um, so you're right. When you get to that stage and that's, that's kind of where I was late in my career with IBM is um, we'd have, we'd have, I'd have clients where IBM had a team on site, a team in a, uh, in remote offices within the United States. I had an offshore team in India and I felt it was my job to know everybody um, and to get a feeling for how they were. So to, to your point, that's how I manage that. 
Um, I didn't manage the technology as much as I managed the people um, to execute the technology. So, um, so that, that was that article. It's funny because I I sent you this article link uh, about an hour before we started talking. And then I got an email um, with another article. And, and I'd, I'd actually like to see if we can talk to Jess here. Um, but an article by Jess, Jess Schmarja, and I probably destroyed her last name. Um, and, and I apologize if I did. Um, talking about the CTO role. And essentially, her, her article talks about how the CTO role has been defined within her life and how some people believe there's the CTO, and then there's the VP of engineering yeah. and how they have to be two different people. Um, and she's talked about how she's kind of been both throughout the years. And I think that's that's probably true uh, and right for a lot of people is you can be both throughout the years. Um, and you can even be r- both uh, within the same company at times. But you're eventually, your time is going to eventually pull you away um, to where you can't be that, that VP of engineering. Yeah. So um, I, I found it very interesting. We'll link this one in the, in the show notes as well because it just came out about two weeks ago. So it's um, relevant. So it's it, a relevant it, article. It's relevant. It, <laughs> yes, it, it, it's current. Um, as opposed, uh, yeah, I, I, I can't even go down that road right now with all the bad articles I'm finding. So anyway, um, so yeah, this uh, uh, we'll, we'll we'll link this one as well because this one's really so. Interesting. Let, I'm going to throw in a rant because what what there's one there's some seems to be a phase missing in this article that we were originally talking about. What phase yeah. is it where the CTO's job is to create fake work for potential hires? it it is in that growth phase when they're so 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 let me let me let me address that so that i i I think i know what you're hinting at that's in that growth phase and this is where the cto has chosen to use um what the industry standard is without thinking does that apply to my company the right way or maybe yeah maybe, maybe is trying to make it apply to their company in a way that doesn't quite fit the standard, but is still not quite there. So please rant away. So, well, I, I, all of a sudden I want to be nice to the subject. What I'm ranting about is the fact that I've done a number of interviews and we go through my resume and we talk about, like I'm talking to a CTO about it being a VP of engineering or, or something like that. And they say we have a process that we follow religiously and you have to do a code example or a code test and then i just say why did we just talk about all the things i've built like if you're going to put it on this stupid test and and i know like i've hired people and i've put out official job postings before and i know how it feels when you're busy as crap, you get a you get dropped on you a hundred resumes, and you decide, you start thinking about how can I automate this? Right. Yep. And that's what this process is. It's automating the choice of the right people. It's acting as a filter, and, right? It, it, it's it, and, it, it, so you don't have to review two hundred; you only have to review twenty. 
Or, and here's the other side. Here's the, I'll be the devil's advocate to my own argument. In a way, the code challenge is a way to, in some people's minds, to remove bias. If you know, if you're a white guy and you're looking at a, and you're talking to all these different people, there's an argument that I think is valid that you may hire the people with whom you talk to easiest sure. versus who can perform better. And so I get that. I totally understand that if you're trying to become, trying to, to be a diverse hiring group, that implementing a neutral-ish type of uh, work example, I call it fake code, for someone to be hired, that that would you may go down that route. But on the flip side, here's the argument I made. Someone that said, well, I don't understand why you won't do this test. And I'm like, and so I give them, I'm going to give it the other side. If you're a candidate and you're applying to multiple companies, because you really can't afford to go down a path of applying to like three companies and then finding out that those three aren't good for you or vice versa, and then waiting two weeks later to apply to three more. Right. You need to apply to a number of places to see how many of them stick, to see how many people don't ghost you. Like, yeah, the ghosting is huge. Oh, yeah. And that's fine. It's part of the process. I don't really, it doesn't phase me anymore on that side. But the the problem is, is that I, tip if I had, for all of the places I applied to, to see, is there a fit? If I actually conducted their work examples, I would have almost a full 40 to 80 hours of fake code to do to see if I can go to the next stage of some interview process. Yeah. And that's, and I'm not unemployed. Yeah, that's fair. I'm not unemployed. I've I'm working right now to finish a project so that I can pay bills to the next one. Right. And so I just say, you know what? I'm going to only talk to the companies that I that are willing to look at my work background and talk to my references. And the flip side of that is it takes time to call references. It's a, it's, it's time consuming. Yeah. So I have to find a company that's like, you're worth our effort to do research on our side, even though I can hand them over references that vouch for me. So overall, I guess my, the rant is that if you start to like, again, going back to my domination phase discussion about hire the best people. And if you hire the best people, you eliminate the need to have implementation details as part of your daily management role. And if you completely take the hiring and automate it so that HR is doing it or that a test is the only thing you do, I would argue that you are letting the best people avoid your process. Right. Not to say that I not to say I am the best person for every job I've looked at. I'm I sure that, I'm that is what you were saying, but go on. <laughs> I'm good. I'm a, definitely a good candidate. I'm a good candidate for anybody. Um, but that's yeah. I mean, but I have bias myself on that side. But the the bigger point is that you have to really watch your hiring process to find out. Are you filtering out not only the the cruft of people that aren't aren't any good? Are you also filtering out the people that are 
excellent and don't want to bow to your process. Right. That's really important. And I've never hired or been hired through a code review, like, like a, a test, like a take this work home, take home test thing. I've never gotten hired that way. and I've never given it to anybody. I have talked to people directly. I have networked to know who people are and know other people that vouch for them. And, and I've talked, I've looked, I've said, give me references. And if someone can't give me reference references, then that's a, that's a big signal to me that, oh, you can't even find people to vouch for you. Cause every person I've ever hired can get someone to vouch. Now that doesn't mean that I call the reference and they give me a bunch of details. Sometimes they're under their own corporate um, thing to say, yes, I recommend. And that's all they can say. But there's something to be said for the fact that someone can give me a name and say, hey, um, I can vouch. Now, I've also had people say, so the last place I worked, the manager was horrible. I can't give you their name. I'm like, give me someone that worked with you. I don't care if there's a manager. It can be a friend because I can still talk to them and get information out. So I just find that references are way better for vouching because... I don't like just because someone codes different than what the test would show or it gets nervous when they test live or the worst part is when someone gives you this stupid coder pad thing online. I'm like, everyone I know codes with sublime or VS code. And now I'm going to give them a a notepad in the cloud to work on. It's like, are you kidding me? It's, it's like, Hey, I want you to show me how you hit this hammer, but I'm going to give you a book to hit it with. I'm like, that's just the dumbest thing ever. I want to see how someone uses the hammer, not a, not a stick. Right. So, so I, at at this phase of hiring, which is vital after like phase three and four, where hiring is critical to the CTO role. I really just want to take the industry by the collar and go, what are you thinking? Sure. Why, why are you following this, this process of automation that does that filters out the good and like, you're going to get the middle of the road doing this. You have to take, you have to do the hard part, which is talk to people. And I've, I can say right now, the companies that I've been most impressed with, even if they didn't hire me were the ones that laid out a plan for, I need you to talk to these people. You need to do interviews with these people. And I was like, okay, these people know what is important. Like they, they said, give me a list of references and stuff. Yeah. And I'm like, ah, you know what? I, I, they would come back and say, you're overqualified or we need someone that is specialty in this area that you're not. And I'm like, that's cool. You know what you need. But I was way more impressed with their process than I was with the people that were like, Hey, take home this little test and then we'll know if if we should talk to you. And I'm like, I'm sorry, but I don't have 40 hours a week to do take home tests and stuff. So that's just an interesting part of the hiring that I now am subject to um, with just what I'm doing right now. And I feel like it's educational if I ever hit four but it has recalibrated how I think about building a team going forward because it's 
just an, in, the, the, the space has changed dramatically in the last 10 years since I last looked for some new role. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know that it's for the better, um, necessarily. Well, it, yeah, uh, it's different. And, and I, I think that there were two points you, you had in there that I wanted to, to, to just bring out real quick. One, um, was your point about the coding tests require time on the side of the candidate. And he's probably applying for five to 10 different jobs. So it, it, yeah. it, it that, that, that is certainly not ever something I've thought about as a, as an issue. So I really wanted to, to rehash that and make sure that that was brought to the forefront because that was a really important yeah. point. Um, the second one about references, even if they're friends, um, we'll, uh, we'll tell a little story here. Um, I used you as a reference once and I don't yeah. remember what job, um, but it was, they, they contacted you. And if I remember right, the story you told them was about how I, uh, we had shown up at Chicago DrupalCon um, for, for the day before they needed some, some volunteers to put the bags together, things like that. Yeah. And, and the story you told was about how I went in there and I was, uh, it, I wasn't happy. I was, I was uncomfortable with how inefficient everything was. Um, so I just took, you know, 15, 30 minutes, set everything to where it could be very, um, conveyor like from one station to the other. And I had, I had completely reformed the process of what they were doing and made it better in that time. I didn't tell you to tell that story. I didn't give you any heads up about that. That was something you were able to pull out as just knowing me and, and having been together that you're like, this is the most important thing you need to know about him. Um, so I, I, that, that's where friends can even be a good reference is they can tell you some stories that, that will come out and show a different side than you were expecting. <laughs> but here's the other, here's a flip side. One of your worst hires of all time was someone I referred to you. <laughs> now okay. I, I had, there was a whole, there was a whole load there of were, the, There were issues. extenuating circumstances on that one. <laughs> but not everything works. A, a take-home test, no. a take-home test can be completely jimmied. By the way, um, there's so many. It's so. If you here's a funny thing about, and then we're going off topic now. But the if you go on to these sites where um, people can hire by the hour, by the by the every 15 minutes coder sure. to help. Sure. So many of them are students doing homework. And interview people, people in interviews, trying to get someone to do the, the interview thing for them. Of course. And I mean, of course. And I'm just, it's completely like how people would cheat the education system. But when you give people tests like an education system to get into your company, desperation wins out. And so, yeah, there is like the reference system is not perfect. The talking to people system is widely imperfect because biases are huge. The take-home tests are so easy to really at least get that part through. Like I can give you someone else's code to show you I could do that stupid thing. And sure. And none of it's going to be perfect. If you're looking for the perfect silver bullet, then you're then the whole all phase one, two, three, and four of CTO land is not for you. There is there's nothing like does it all so 
Yeah, I mean, I've been there before. I've given references to people that didn't work out. And then I feel bad about it. And then I think, you know what? I can only I can only base it on what my work experience was with that person. That's what I'll refer to them. And so I remember, I don't remember who I talked to, but I remember exactly what you're talking about. And that's the example I wanted to give because that was, that impressed me at that moment, that what you did, that example of your ability. And that's what I, yeah, that's what I hope to get when I talk to a reference, but you know, it doesn't always work that way. Anyway. No, not always. But I thought it, I thought it was an interesting example since we were talking about references. Yeah. Uh, I, I'd be really interested. I'm not going to let us get off topic. I'm going to let us wrap up. But <laughs> I'd be really interested to see somebody named Randy um, do do exactly that. Have 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 a potential employer come to them and say, "Hey, here's a coding test. Have Randy go to Fiverr or whatever. Get somebody <laughs> to do it for him. Turn around, go to the employer, and say." Here's the solution to your coding test. I did not do this, but my my the, what I can bring is the ability to know how to use my time most efficient, my time and my company's time most efficiently. So I use this, and it produced the same results you needed. It, it was better for me to pay that than to use my hourly rate to build. That would be. I'd love to see how that. Re- well, no, how that I agree with you. I would love to see that play out, but I'll tell you, the. The people I've talked to that try to give me this test are on average very offended that I challenge yeah. that I challenge the idea that the test that I should take the test. Like yeah. it hurts their feelings. And I know immediately that I should not work with this person. But the I don't understand it, but I in some ways I think making people take the test is putting people in their place. Like if you're a developer and you won't take our test and do our process, then you don't deserve to be here. And that's fine. But I just, I've never run a team like that. Like I judge people on whether they can be part of my team where they come into the team and the team loves them. The team is like, yes, we want this person to be part of our group. Yes, we can work with them and talk to them and deal with the stresses of development and the process we have, and they will fit in. Like that's the test I want them to to pass. I don't want them. I don't want someone to to feel from the beginning that they've jumped through hoops to be here. Like my company is not about hoops. My company is about finding the best people to be part of the best team. And but I, I think right. that there's a lot of people that want hoops to be jumped through kind of like hazing in a fraternity or something. And I'm like, that's just, that's just not the kind of organization I want to create or be a part of. But I, but it har- it's yeah. harder because it filters out the opportunities, but I've found them. Like I've, yeah. I've been talking to companies that I'm like, I think, you know what it, I know, I think you know what it is it takes to be part of your team best. And, but they have a very long process so I have to be patient on the um, the back and forth over time. Like I can't say, "Can you give me an answer in a week?" I have to be, which is fine. I'm, I I don't look for jobs at the last minute. So I've been talking to companies over the last two to three weeks, and their process is slower and more deliberate. And I get that. I like that. It means that they're thinking about it amongst several people, and. 
so anyway, that's efficiency of hiring is not necessarily going to give get you the best people either. And I don't really, it doesn't bother me when a firm is slow on their, like figuring who is the best fit. Because if I want, sure. efficiency is get, making me do a three hour test on my side and then they make a decision the next day. That's efficient on their side, not maybe effective. <laughs> and so right. I have to say, you know what, if a company, if I'm going to make the company take more time, I got to give them that time and, and be patient. And so maybe that's for someone looking for a gig is to say, like ghosting, not cool, but give the company time to make their choices. And maybe if you're a good candidate, then you'll be in that process to the end. That's the other flip side to it. So, sure. Anyway, so we've had we've had one episode, two topics. Yeah. So you get you get double double your money's worth today. <laughs> well, I'm gonna I'll, so. I'm gonna rant about the hiring process as long as I'm in it. I think it's just. This is my this is my venting of things as I go along, but I don't know. I've I, oh, I yeah. can't say it's been horrible. It's I it's just interesting to see how everyone's doing it. Um, oh yeah, for sure. And anyway, so that's all I got. All right, I don't have anything else for for this week as well. So um, I think we'll wrap it up. Cool. I'll talk to you soon. later. Thanks for listening to the CTO Think Podcast. Show notes and previous episodes can be found on our website at ctothink.com. Reviews on Apple iTunes are always appreciated and help promote the show. Patreon contributions help us to produce episode transcripts, which allow people that are deaf or hard of hearing to access the show. If you have feedback, ideas, or want to be a guest, please email us at hello at ctothink.com. Show music is Dumpster Dive by Mark Wallach, licensed by premiumbeat.com. Voiceover work by meganvoices.com. You'll hear from us next week.